Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar, who will be your host in this roundup of the latest fake news. And if you thought the media had made a New Year's resolution to be more honest, you'd be disappointed. <laughs> On the bright side, though, they've given me a lot of material for this week's episode. Uh, but before I get into all that, I'd want to start with a story. I was assigned a project in college, uh, one of the first classes that I had to take in college. It's called English 102. That was where you have to start writing the more serious essays. Like English 101, that was the first one. That that was like JV English, okay? But 102, that was for the big dogs. The first assignment of English 102 was that we had to write an essay with the topic of what was going on in the world on the day that you were born. Now, just about everybody in the class was born in the 80s. Um, so this was one of those things like, how do you even research this? Newspapers were not online yet in the 80s. There was virtually no internet back then. So how do you even look up what was going on in the world on the day you were born, on a day, like on a specific day? How do you do that? It'd be easy in modern times, but how would you do that for a date in history? Well, the research for this class was completed by using New York Times articles because the school had access to a New York Times database with every article and every issue that had ever appeared in a New York Times in all of its history and all of its recorded history. There was an online database for that. And that was enough. If you just went to look at the New York Times for the day that you were born, that was enough to complete this essay and to know what was going on in the whole world on the day that you were born. Now, why was that enough? Why was one newspaper, their records for one day, why was that enough to tell you about everything going on in the world? Because the New York Times is huge. It's, it's comprehensive. Have you ever held a New York Times newspaper in your hands? They have like over 100 pages per issue. I remember when I did the assignment, like when I was born, there was some conflict going on in Lithuania. Couldn't even tell you where Lithuania is on a map, okay? <laughs> I don't even remember what the conflict was about. There was like a civil war or something going on in Lithuania. And on the New York Times article on the day I was born, uh, on, their, on their issue, they had like seven articles about the conflict in Lithuania. About a conflict that was going on on the other side of the world. So what I'm saying is, New York Times, it's comprehensive. It's a huge newspaper. It was an impressive newspaper. It was worthy of being the, the indisputed king of the newspaper world. Even by the time that I had gotten into college, you know, like this was 15 years ago, the highest that a print journalist could ever hope to aspire to would be to perhaps earn a position as a New York Times reporter someday. Maybe a writer for New York Times or, or Time Magazine, if you were in print journalism, that was about as high as you could go. Those were the best of the best when it came to the print journalism world. You couldn't dream higher, you couldn't go further in your career than to someday work for the New York Times. You know, in the journalism classes, the broadcast journalists, they had their heroes, they had their uh, you know, highest attainable 
places, you know, and to, to work for ABC or CNN, perhaps, if you were in broadcast journalism. Photojournalists, they had National Geographic. That's what they could aspire to. Print journalists, well, we had the New York Times. That was about as high as you could hope to ever attain in your career. And now, today, the New York Times is, is producing pieces like this. Headline. Did the mother of young adult literature identify as a man? This is an, an article that came out recently by a writer for the New York Times named Peyton Thomas. This is what he says. The word transgender did not exist during the life of Little Women author Louisa May Alcott. But it might be the best word to capture the essence or experience of an author who wrote about having a boy's spirit and a man's soul. So there's this columnist, he's writing for the New York Times, and he says that the author of Little Women, which is Louisa May Alcott, that she might actually have been a man all along. Not a, not a man pretending to be a woman like Mrs. Doubtfire, but a woman who's pretending to be a man like Justin Trudeau. And of course, according to the left, if you're a woman who's pretending to be a man, that means that you're actually a man. And that is what this New York Times reporter is proposing that Louisa May Alcott, who, again, she's the author of Little Women. It's a classic American novel that she might actually have just been a man trapped inside a woman's body. Little Women, if you're not familiar with it, uh, again, it's this is such a beloved classic that it spawned countless movies, plays, I'm sure some radio adaptions. And I'll admit, I love me some some Little Women as well. Uh, back when, again, when I was in college, I took theater appreciation for one of my courses. It, I only took it because I wasn't interested in music or art appreciation. And I wasn't interested in theater appreciation either. I just thought like that would be the least boring out of the three. So I did theater appreciation. And, and one of my theater class assignments, it was to go watch the theater department's play that they were putting on for that semester. And at that, at that semester that I took that class... The play for the semester was Little Women, the musical. And this assignment, this was like a non-negotiable assignment. Like this was something you had to do to pass the class. You had to go to their play, of which that semester happened to be Little Women, the musical. And I remember dreading it all semester. <laughs> like I thought it was, it was like a three hour play. I thought this is going to be the most excruciating three hours of my life. But I will tell you what, I, I, I went and watched it. Basically, from, from the first 10 minutes of this thing, I was enthralled with that show. Like, there's, I only saw it once. This is like 15 years ago. There are songs from it that I remember to this day, okay? I've, I've only had a handful of theater experiences in my life. Little Women, the musical, was by far my favorite one ever. So I'm not, I'm not going to hate on Little Women, Okay. And if you haven't ever taken the time to experience Little Women, you know, the story for yourself, you don't know what you're missing. Just going to put that out there. So, okay, anyway, back to, the, back to the story here. The New York Times has decided that, for real, that this classic is so exquisite, so perfect at capturing the essence of the female experience. It was so well written that it couldn't have been produced by a woman. It had to be a man. That's not your mother, it's a man, baby! From the New York Times, okay? 
This is what they say. What would it mean if the mother of young adult literature were actually the genre's father? So <laughs> maybe I should explain why are they trying to say that Louisa May Alcott was actually a man, all right? They say this, um, they, they, you know, they're basically saying that, that she was transgender, okay, if you were to put it in modern terms. Not that Louisa May Alcott ever expressed any type of view that she was a man trapped in a woman's body. She never said anything of the sort. What New York Times is doing is just taking this modern identity and they're planting it on this great historical figure because what they always want to do is, and when I say they, I, I mean New York Times, but I mean the left in general, they want to tear down our history. They want to stomp it flat. They want to remake it in their own image. They want to replace the truth with lies. And that's just another example here of what they're doing. They're trying to say now that Louisa May Alcott, the, the author of this piece, the Preston, Prescott or Preston, who at Peyton, <laughs> I forgot the name already, Peyton Thomas, okay? And who I, I think I read that this was a transgender person themselves. So I don't know if it's a male or female. I guess they don't know either. <laughs> but this author, this is, this is what narcissism is, okay? This transgender person is now reading this story and saying, huh, I think the author of this piece might be transgender like me. So I'm just going to write a, a newspaper article talking about why I believe this is the case. So they, this is what they say. Again, I don't know if the author is a male or female. I'll just say they for, because <laughs> I'm not sure. They say that since Louisa May Alcott wrote her main character of the story, which was Joe, they wrote her as kind of a tomboy. They, they describe her as someone who thinks like a man. They say, well, then maybe Joe was actually transgender. That Louisa May Alcott, she was writing a transgender character, and she couldn't have written a transgender character unless she was actually transgender herself. All right? So the, the left, just they have, they have no concept of what a tomboy is. They think if a girl acts a little bit boyish, and, you know, if you there's four girls who are, like, the main girls of the story in Little Women. And uh, one of them is, is a little bit, uh, a little bit of the black sheep of the family. And she's still very feminine. But, I mean, she's a little bit more... Um, a little bit more tough and, you know, likes to, to wrestle and play hard. So what we would call a tomboy nowadays, or classically, historically, what we might call a tomboy. Now New York Times says, oh, no, that just means it's actually a boy. So they just <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> they don't have concepts for these things in their head. They are so messed up on gender. Um, throughout the piece, the author calls Louisa May Alcott Lou. Okay, because they're trying to give her a more ambiguous name. You know, I remember actually it, in history, the female authors that sometimes they actually did take male names, or they might just put their initials on the instead of putting their actual name on a book, they just use their initials because they were afraid that if somebody knew that they were a woman, that then people wouldn't pick up the book and read it. Now, I don't know if that was a legitimate fear or not. I mean, there could have been some... some Could be true. But if that was a problem, Louisa May Alcott put an end to it. Because when her book came out in the 1800s, it sold out within two weeks. She had a book sell out in two weeks in the 1800s. Okay? I mean, that's, that's word of mouth right back then. This is before the age of the internet and things going viral. And she made a big splash when she put this book out. She was a very successful female author. 
And we could say she paved the way, perhaps, for many future female authors. If only those women in history who had this hard time getting their names out there, getting books to be read and published and sold out, if only they knew that someday the New York Times would try to strip away their accomplishments and reframe them as men, (laughs) what they were trying to do maybe themselves to actually sell books, now the New York Times is just doing it for them. Oh, yeah, yeah, this great, this great, uh, you know, female, this, this accomplished author, a, a trailblazer for women in, in authoring books. She was actually a man the whole time. <laughs> you know, any other day of the week, Democrats, the left, the New York Times, they're going to say it's conservatives who are anti-women, that it's conservatives who oppress women. But at the New York Times, they will literally erase great historical women and just say that they're actually men because it suits a contemporary political point that they want to make. And I guess that's what passes for journalism nowadays. The New York Times, it was once the greatest. But but look at how far it has fallen. And let's talk about the history of the paper for a minute. The paper began in 19 or sorry, 1851. 1851, the New York Times started, and it has won 132 Pulitzer Prizes since then. That's the most of any newspaper. You know, that's the big prize. You know, the acting has Oscars, TV acting has the Emmys, the music has the Grammys, theater has the Tonys, journalists have the Pulitzers, and the New York Times has more than anyone. That's why I say, like, that look, at, look at their legacy that they've had up to this point. The New York Times, it's only ever had one slogan, all the news that's fit to print. It's often called the paper of record. You know, a lot of people will say the newspaper is the paper of record, but the New York Times, it is the paper of record. And it was called the paper of record because it would write what happened. And once the New York Times said it, then you could mark it as history. But today they just rewrite history whenever they see fit. <laughs> they have no regard to history or the truth. It's like they have no regard to the power of their own words or else they use their power in extremely um, misinforming ways. Okay, I'm not just talking about the Louisa May Alcott story. Listen to this. This is, this is wild. This happened in October, okay? October 3rd of 2022. Headline. How a tiny elections company became a conspiracy theory target. Here is the subhead. Election deniers catapulted a Michigan firm with just 21 U.S. employees to the center of unfounded voter fraud claims, exposing it to vicious threats. And this was by a writer for the New York Times named Stuart A. Thompson. And here's what the story says. In case you haven't picked up yet, when they say election deniers, what they mean is... um, there, if you're a Republican who doesn't accept the results of an election, they now call you, you're labeled a, an election denier, okay? If you're a Democrat and you question the results of an election, totally fine. They don't care then. You know, they let you, uh, you're allowed to question any election where any Republican ever won. The only one that you can't question is the 2020 presidential race. Then you're an election denier, okay? It's this new slur that they put on people. To try to, you know, they they only want you to question the results of an election if the Republican wins. 
Then they can claim for 20 years that it was stolen, like with George Bush in, in Florida. Now that you know, then they can say, oh, we need an investigation into Russian tampering with the with the with our electoral process. And they colluded with the rest with the Trump campaign to steal the election. You heard that for years. It's OK if you question when a Republican wins. If a Democrat wins. You are an election denier if you don't just shut up and accept it. So anyway. There were some so-called election deniers and they were saying that this company in, in Michigan, I guess, they have offices throughout the United States. Um, but this, this, this little company called Konek, or Konech, I'm not sure how to say it, that they were actually Chinese spies. It's, it's essentially that they were China trying to steal information and data about our country and, and you know, forward it on to the Chinese Communist Party. So here's the story where they say this is a conspiracy theory, where the New York Times is saying that this is just something election deniers are drumming up. The story reads, at an invitation-only conference in August, at a secret location southeast of Phoenix, a group of election deniers unspooled a new conspiracy theory about the 2020 presidential outcome. Using threadbare evidence, or none at all, the group suggested that a small American election software company, Connect had secret ties to the Chinese Communist Party and had given the Chinese government backdoor access to personal data about 2 million poll workers in the United States, according to online accounts from several people at the conference. In the ensuing weeks, the conspiracy theory grew as it shot around the world, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so that was, again, October 3rd, 2022. All right? About this is just the latest election denier conspiracy theory. October 3rd. The next day, the New York Times ran another story, October 4th, 2022. Headline, election software executive arrested <laughs> on suspicion of theft. <laughs> Here's the story this time. It's talking about that same company. The top executive of a top elections company that has been the focus of election deniers has been arrested by a Los Angeles County official <laughs> in connection with an investigation into the possible theft of personal information about poll workers, the county said on Tuesday. Los Angeles District Attorney George Guscon said the investigation found the data stored in China. <laughs> so the exact thing that the election deniers had been claiming the day before, now the guy is being arrested for exactly that by the Los Angeles District Attorney. <laughs> okay, so you say, well, yeah, that's pretty bad that the New York Times reported one thing as a conspiracy theory on October 3rd and then proved it correct the next day on October 4th. That's a, that's a bad thing, you say. But you got to remember, Luke, New York Times has thousands of employees, okay? Hundreds of pages per issue. You just can't expect them to know everything in every single copy of the newspaper all the time. <laughs> the writer of the October 4th article, Stuart A. Thompson, the exact same guy who had the day before was saying it was conspiracy theory by election deniers using threadbare evidence or none at all. <laughs> That's what he said the day before. The next day, he's reporting that this that, 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 that this guy who was at the center of the conspiracy at the Connect that he's been arrested for sending our information along to China. 
The exact same guy. That's the paper of record for you, ladies and gentlemen. That's what the New York Times has become. October 3rd, it's a Republican conspiracy theory. October 4th, <laughs> China is interfering in our elections. It was the same paper. It was the same writer. It was one day apart. On Monday, it's a conspiracy theory. On Tuesday, it's a conspiracy fact. But here's what's, here's what's interesting to me about the Tuesday article. They never look in the mirror and say, Hey, we're sorry that we misreported this story yesterday and that we just kind of used it to make fun of Republicans for being election deniers. Sorry we tried to slander them whenever it turned out they were right the whole time. You know, it, they don't say that. They don't say any of that. <laughs> that it was a conspiracy theory, you know, that only the Republicans and the California law enforcement believed. <laughs> they don't admit any of that, that they got it wrong the day before. <laughs> they just go right along October 4th. Wow, we never saw this coming. Remember, on October 3rd, they dismissed it, saying, using threadbare evidence or none at all. <laughs> threadbare evidence or none at all. But the Los Angeles County District Attorney thought otherwise. That's the paper of record for you nowadays. Okay? That's why... Anytime the media just says, don't talk about this. How dare you talk about that? How dare you say that? Anytime they get defensive about something and try to make you feel bad for asking questions about it. At this point, I just assume that they're trying to cover up for a lie. You know, that football player collapsed last week and, you know, he had the heart problems after a tackle. Is that tragic accident? Damar something? I can't remember his name. Um, but there's that tragic accident during the football game. And right after it happened, there's some people who were asking, did he have some kind of heart condition that was due to being vaccinated? And, and you know, as I, as from what I think, he was just hit in the chest. It doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with the vaccine. Now, it, coincidentally, it happens during a time when we're seeing a lot of stories of people having heart problems after getting vaccinated. Okay, you know, that coincidentally it happens at that time. I'm trying to be cute. I mean... It could have just been a coincidence, but I do think it's a fair question. Could the COVID vaccine have had something to do with it? You know, it has been proven that the COVID vaccine does increase the risk of heart problems, especially in young men. There's some countries, they don't even let young people get vaccinated because they say the side effects on, on the heart, that the young people are at a higher risk of the side effects than getting COVID itself would, would be a risk for them. So it's a fair question, in my opinion. You know, to say, does the COVID vaccine have anything to do with this? But the media just got so uppity about it. If you ask the question, if you even raise the question of did DeMar Hamlin's collapse and his heart issues, did it, was he vaccinated? If you were to even ask that question, they say you're promoting conspiracy theories. They get defensive. I just get suspicious of that now. <laughs> like, okay, what are you guys trying to cover up? Whenever you just want to label everything a conspiracy theory, and so we have to wait, you know, 24 hours before you report it as the truth. But honestly, I mean, often a lot of things they, that we do say that, that are labeled a conspiracy theory, they get proven correct if you just wait a little bit, wait a few months. We've covered many of those type of things on this show. Go back to, I, I remember it was episode 19, because I called it 19 reasons we can't trust the experts on COVID-19. We went through example after example of ways that the media and uh, the, the health officials and Anthony Fauci, that they lied to us about 
stuff going on with coronavirus and then stuff going on with the COVID vaccine. They lied to us about a whole bunch of stuff. Go back and listen to that episode. I'll give you 19 examples. They lied about so many things and then they called it conspiracy theories. If you said, oh, it came, it came from a lab in China. If, if the women were coming out and saying, oh, this is messing with, our, messing with our menstrual cycles. They were called conspiracy theories. The media went on and made fun of you for even posing those questions. And then it all turned out to be true. So anytime they call something a conspiracy theory nowadays, it just makes me think it's another conspiracy fact. It's just an actual conspiracy. Some of them, we might never know on some of the things. We might never have the proof. But anything they call a conspiracy theory or science denial, and whether that's about you know COVID or, or climate change or their election propaganda, when I hear that, it just makes me think they're trying to cover something up. <laughs> they're, they're trying to cover something up that's true. On the subject of election denialism, okay, here's how the New York Times reported on a debate that was, back in October, it was an upcoming debate. But they were. this is how they reported on a debate that was coming up between Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, who was a Republican, and a Democrat who was running against him named Mandela Barnes. And Wisconsin ended up picking Johnson in that race, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read this headline from the New York Times about it. You tell me which candidate that the New York Times wanted to win. Okay, here's how they described the debate. Senator Johnson, a leading peddler of misinformation, will debate the Lieutenant Governor Barnes, a liberal Democrat who has been touted as one of the party's rising stars. The two will debate at 7 p.m. <laughs> Do you detect, you know, if you squint... If you have just a really sharp mind, you might be able to see a little bit of a difference there in how they talk about the two candidates. <laughs> the New York Times. That's not their opinion pages. Well, I mean, it, the whole paper is an opinion page at this point. But that is what they consider their objective news. Okay? All the news that's fit to print. Totally objective, guys. It's nonpartisan. They're a totally nonpartisan paper, despite the fact they've endorsed the Democrat for president in every presidential election for, for more than 60 years, okay? For more than half a century, they've only endorsed Democrats for the president. But you can totally trust them to be nonpartisan, right? Here they were covering Ron DeSantis. He's the Florida governor, Republican. Here's what they were saying about Ron DeSantis a few months ago during hurricane season. Governor Ron DeSantis and other Florida Republicans rejected major climate laws. Now they're seeking storm aid. Now, if you read that headline, if you're a normal person, you probably look at this and you say, okay, they reject some of these climate change laws that, that Democrats wanted to pass. And now they are seeking aid because they've had a hurricane in their state, natural disaster. They would like some help cleaning it up. This is what the government does. It helps clean stuff up. What's, why, what does one have to do with the other? Well, to understand this, you have to get inside the mind of a New York Times reporter. And that's a, you know, it is a dark place to go. On the bright side, it's very roomy in there. But here's why a New York Times reporter would type such a thing. They believe that we can stop hurricanes if we just pass enough laws for climate change. And this is a common Democrat hoax. They want you to believe that hurricanes are like this new phenomenon that, you know, they never happened. 
until CO2 emissions started messing up our atmosphere and started causing all these hurricanes to affect the United States of America. They were never a thing before man-made climate change. And so now every hurricane season, Democrats get to spend it lamenting the fact that we could just put a stop to all these hurricanes if we'd only pass some more climate change legislation. They try to make it seem like hurricanes are these things that are just always getting more frequent, more deadly, more destructive. When in fact, hurricanes have not increased in frequency or destruction in all the years that we have data on them. They, they have not gotten deadlier. And I mean, we had like a, a Hurricane 5 hurricane back with Katrina, which was about 15 years, 16 years ago now, 17 years ago, I guess. And back when it happened, they're like, oh, yeah, this is the future. This is what's going to start happening all the time because back then it was global warming. We don't have enough global warming legislation passed. We're going to get more hurricanes like this. We've never had another Category 5 hurricane since then. In fact, this past year, it was one of the lighter years for, for hurricanes. They want you to believe that it's this problem that gets gets worse and worse every year, and that's why we need to pass climate change legislation. The data doesn't back that up. So, you know, they, they, again, they were in the mind here of a New York Times reporter, okay? And they want to blame Republicans for all these hurricanes. They So they say it's Republicans' fault anytime a hurricane hits the United States mainland. They say Republicans are pro-hurricane. And that's why they see some kind of contradiction or hypocrisy in their mind that Ron DeSantis would dare accept federal aid to clean up after a natural disaster because in their mind, he caused the disaster. So these people are just demented trolls. <laughs> that's all they are. And I, I, I guess to step away from New York Times for a minute, let's just talk about climate activists in general which are a lot of journalists out there, they are really getting out of control. Unlike our climate, <laughs> which, is, which is a lot more stable than these people. So as we mentioned, or, you know, there's a lot of people who are experiencing heart issues right now, um, heart complications like myocarditis. And it, this is one of those things that like, you know, you get on Twitter and it's all over the place. People constantly dropping. You see videos all the time being shared on, if you know, if you're paying attention, if you're on Twitter, if you're looking for it, you see videos all the time. People just dropping randomly at, at sometimes dying, sometimes just having heart issues. And it's been happening so often. The media can't just ignore it anymore. They can't ignore that. Okay. There are all these people who are just suddenly developing heart conditions out of nowhere. Young people. So the media is going to say, okay, it is a real issue. Okay. But they're going to point the finger at kid you not. They're pointing the finger at climate change and saying it's causing heart problems in people. Okay? <laughs> ABC News. Rise in heart disease may be explained by extreme weather conditions. It's not clear why the temperature shifts are correlated with more heart attacks. <laughs> That's ABC News. Okay? That's what they're trying to say. The rise in heart disease may be explained by extreme weather, although it's not clear what one has to do with the other. <laughs> You know, they have to acknowledge that it's really happening. But they're just not going to acknowledge the real reason. They're going to try to blame it on climate change. Try to drum up more fear about climate and all that. 
here's vice. This is a far left, you know, but, but well read, like commonly cited, commonly read vice, um, about a left leaning publication. Okay. Scientists are studying the temperature at which humans spontaneously die with increasing urgency. (laughs) This terrifying phenomenon is becoming increasingly common because of climate change. So that's what these places are doing. They're trying to say that people are having heart issues, not because of vaccines, not because, you know, we took this experimental vaccine and most of America got it injected into their arm. And now there's a bunch of people having side effects. Well, it wasn't that it's climate change. That's what the media wants you to know. This is the new gaslighting. Okay. Blaming the climate for heart problems. And it goes to show just how many scientists are just openly lying nowadays because the reporters can't write this stuff unless they can get some scientists to go on the record and lie to them about it, okay? This is not new information, but, but I mean, any scientist who's, tr- <laughs> who's trying to blame the climate for heart problems, they're just lying to you. And that's what the media is doing too. And you can probably find a scientist to say anything, but the me- you know, there's enough of them out there who will lie about this. Because they want to get more grants, I guess, and, and study more climate science so they can make up more propaganda. It's kind of like how the, the American Academy of Pediatrics, if, I don't know if you saw this this week, but they're now trying to say that childhood obesity is something that we need to start treating with drugs and surgeries, like on children as young as 12, okay? They're, they're trying to promote, yeah, we tried exercise, we tried getting them to, you know, eat healthier, but that's just not working. So now you got to put your kids on drugs. You got to get them to have a surgery to fix the childhood obesity problem. I mean, this is modern doctors. They just want to treat everything nowadays with a pill. But yet, you know, was this an issue 50 years ago? Obviously not. Not everything is just a problem that could be fixed with medication. 50 years ago, they weren't. we weren't having the massive amount of, you know, there is a lot of childhood obesity going on. But it's not because there's something genetically wrong with, with kids nowadays. It's because we have cultural issues. You know, a lot of kids want to just sit around and play video games. And they don't have parents who will just make them eat healthy. And a lot of the parents don't want to eat healthy themselves. And so we, have, we do have a lot of kids who are, you know, getting fat. It's like, I'm shocked sometimes. I'm like, what is going on with, <laughs> with some of these kids? Um, but it's not a problem with the kids. It's not a problem with their genetics. It's, it's a problem with, with the parenting. And I guess the doctors have given up on telling people the truth of, of what the problem is. Well, maybe they haven't given up. They see a way that they can make money off of it now. So they say, oh yeah, we'll just assign some drugs to you that are not going to do anything to fix the problem because they're not fixing the underlying problem of the parenting and the healthy eating. They say, oh yeah, we're just going to give you some drugs. We're going to give you a surgery. And the doctors make more money, but it's the kids who are going to suffer. And a lot of people can look at this and they say, that's baloney. Baloney. But that's the problem we have nowadays is nobody believes the authorities anymore. And it's because the authorities keep self-destructing their own credibility. Kind of like our president this week. This week was the the two-year anniversary of January 6th in 2021. Okay. To plug another episode I did, if you go back to last year, on January 6, 2022, I did a whole episode talking about all the lies that came out from that day. How there were no Capitol Police killed that day, and yet the Democrats keep lying and lying and trying to say that 
that they were, that there were, that there were multiple Capitol police killed that day when none, <laughs> there weren't any. Here's a clip from, from President Biden this past week. Again, all America saw what happened. What Officer Evans was killed defending the checkpoint it had to go through to get up to the Capitol because of these god-awful sick threats that continue to move forth. So President Biden in that clip, he said that Capitol Police Officer William Evans, that William Evans died because of threats by these sick insurrectionists, talking about those election-denying Republicans, all right, the ultra-MAGA, the people who went into the Capitol that day, which was a bad thing that I don't agree with what they did. But he said that William Evans died as a result of them. Here's what happened to Officer William Evans. He was killed by a black Muslim who rammed him with a car months after January 6th. This was like in April of 2021. Had nothing to do with January 6th. And this, this Nation of Islam supporter rammed into the Capitol and killed this Capitol policeman it had nothing to, to, to do with January 6th. Biden knows that, okay? I don't think he knows a whole lot of things, but he knows that because this has been something that they've lied about repeatedly in the past and they've been called on it repeatedly, but they just keep repeating it, okay? Evans was killed months later by a Muslim and this guy's trying to blame Republicans for it. See how they just lie? Like, nobody trusts the authorities anymore in this country. And... <laughs> Probably because they sound like this whenever they talk. I've traveled over 140 countries around the world. As I was, the, I'll paraphrase the phrase in my own neighborhood. The rest of the countries, the world's not a patch on our genes. If we do what we want to do, we need to do. It, you know, it's extra difficult to trust them. Because whenever they aren't lying, they sound like that. Here's another supposed authority, Scientific American, okay? Scientific American, who is uh, doing the hard work these days of discrediting the entire field of science and journalism. And, and, and that brings us to what's racist for this week. Everything is racist! So this is a piece they put out about uh, DeMar Hamlin. So he's that football player that I'm sure you know his name, but who I was mentioning before that he collapsed on the field after being tackled. And uh, this is a headline from Scientific American, okay? Damar Hanlon's collapse highlights the violence black men experience in football. The terrifyingly ordinary nature of football's violence disproportionately affects black men. So <laughs> that's something that Scientific American put out this past week. That what happened to him was not, you know, they're not going to say it was about the vaccine. They're, they're not going to say it was just a tragic accident. No, this is an example for all of us of the violence that's unique to the black experience in football. And here's their argument. More black men play football, so black men in particular experience the violence of football. <laughs> that's what they're saying. You know, I would have thought football can't be racist because it's actually something where, you know, a disproportionate number of black men get to be millionaires for throwing a pigskin around a stadium. You know, that's an area where you can't say that that men are discriminated, black men are discriminated against 
because that's where they have a distinct advantage, it seems, when it comes to football. But yet I forgot <laughs> that more black men playing football and making millions of dollars a year playing football also makes them more prone to getting football injuries. So yeah, I forgot. So I guess that's why football is racist. And again, who was it that wrote this? It was Scientific American. See, that's kind of the theme of this show, I think, is that people can't trust the authorities anymore. They can't trust science. They can't trust journalism. They can't trust the New York Times. They can't trust authority figures. And it's because the authority figures just want to bomb their own credibility again and again and again. As long as we're doing what's racist for the week, <laughs> this one just kind of cracked me up. Are white women allowed to have big butts? That's a headline from Unheard, which is a online publication that was unheard of before this. <laughs> Here's what they write. The human butt has long been the object of all manner of obsessions. We worry over it. Its size, its shape, whether or not it has cellulite on it, how it looks in a pair of jeans. But now, a new source of concern emerges. The alarming possibility that one's butt, or at least one's relationship to butts generally, is racist. <laughs> Fake news, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. And when we say everything is racist, we mean everything is racist. Okay? Just when you think it couldn't get any more ridiculous, when you think we've gone as low as we can, they go and pull another example out of their butt. Before I close down later, uh, I just want to mention this here. If you want to get in touch with Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast, send us an email to fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. And if you see some fake news, send it our way. Whoever gets it to us first will get credit for it. And uh, to stay in touch throughout the week, we're on Twitter at Fake News Weekly. And if you like Bible studies, or if you just really dig the sound of my voice, uh, got a couple options for you. One is my other podcast, Cross References. It's a Bible study podcast that I put out new episodes on Mondays. And so go look that up. Cross references is on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get this podcast, you'll find the other one. I have it on YouTube as well. Um, Another place you can hear me right now is uh, I was recently a guest on another podcast called The Chaotic Navigator. Um, I recorded this actually back in August or September. The, The interview was actually several months ago. It finally just posted here in the last week of December. So um, if you want to go look up The Chaotic Navigator, this is like a, this is a really informative podcast. Um, I always learn something new and interesting no matter which episode I pull up. And uh, the the last episode they put out in 2022, um, I think it came out on December 28th. If you go look for that episode, uh, that's actually, it's about a 45 minute interview uh, with with yours truly. And we're talking about, he wanted to talk about misinformation and, and disinformation, and uh, and we get into a lot of the legal stuff, and, and we talk about social media and the role of um, what their role is in curating a lot of this information, and we talk about a lot of stuff. So uh, if you if you would uh, like to hear a little bit more, I highly encourage you to go check that out, The Chaotic Navigator, 
and you know look at their other shows and see if there's any other subjects that they talk about they're they're an informative podcast and they're a survival themed podcast they talk about what you do in the case of emergency situations natural disasters cataclysmic events uh how to be prepared for those kind of things i mean (laughs) you know they have an episode about how to read maps and i'm like you know you never i never thought i'd be listening to a podcast about how to read a map and yet as i was listening i'm like there's a lot of interesting tidbits in there so if you see something that catches your eye go check it out and, and make sure you listen to uh to my interview on that december 28th episode so let's close down um we, we just mentioned a few minutes ago we talked about that football player who had the heart problems and, and he's making a recovery now uh last i heard i think he's getting to go home i think he was like unconscious or kind of comatose or something for a few days but he he made a recovery and uh he's doing a lot better so uh one thing though that was for like the week or so that he was in the hospital there were just outpourings of prayer on football fields across the country like constantly nfl games players from opposing teams they'd gather together and they'd pray right there on the field and uh so it's been a beautiful thing just to kind of see the country coming together around this tragic situation but thankfully it looks like the guy's going to be okay i don't know if he'll be able to play football anymore you know they might say he's that you know i don't know that's that's for them to figure out later on i guess but you know they might say he's kind of at a health risk if he goes out there but regardless at least he's going to survive you know it looks like so um let's get back to the new york times where does the new york times stand on prayer at a football game oh let me read you something from the opinion pages of the new york times and this was back in july they had one of their columnists say, this is a headline. I don't want to see a high school football coach praying at the 50-yard line. That was a headline that they ran last summer because there was a Supreme Court case and it was deciding whether it's legal for a high school football coach to privately pray for the safety of his players before or after a football game that he'd go out there and he'd pray Um this wasn't like a some school-sanctioned event that he would try to get other people to come out and pray with him. He just something he just personally went out and did. And this turned into a literal Supreme Court case that people are trying to say he doesn't have a constitutional right to go privately pray before or after a football game. And so the New York Times weighed in, and they said, yeah, I don't want to see that. <laughs> you know, as if the law should just reflect what New York Times columnists want to or don't want to see, you know, your religious freedom to a New York Times reporter. It it balances on the thread of whether they want to see it or not. So I don't know if the New York Times complained this past week when there were players and coaches all over the place at NFL games that they were actually praying out there for the health and recovery of a player who was, you know, fighting for his life in the hospital. Uh, I don't I don't know if they complained. I doubt that they did. Okay? The New York Times is going to complain if you pray about the safety of the players. They'll complain about that, but I think they're probably okay with it if you're praying for someone who actually did get hurt. Because <laughs> that's kind of how Democrats are. They always want to put the safety rails at the bottom of the cliff. <laughs> they, they want you to put Bibles in prisons, but not in schools. So that's, that's how these people at the New York Times think. But this is what the New York Times has turned into. Whiny, pedantic, pathetic, corrupt, hateful, intolerant, 
of conservatives, of, of Republican ideas. They label you with slurs and slanders, even though half the country thinks that way. And if you look back in this country, historically, they were the most prominent and probably the most credible news source in America. Probably the most famous and historical newspaper in U.S. history, if not the world, if not the history of the world. That's what you could say about the New York Times. And now today, look at what they have done with that reputation. It goes to show you that wokeness ruins everything. Progressivism ruins everything. Leftism ruins everything. It ruined what was once the gold standard of newspapers. And they still got the name, but not the credibility. If you go to their Twitter, they boast more than 50 million followers. They got the name. But look at their responses. Their tweets, they get a couple dozen retweets. A few dozen likes. They have 50 million followers, but most of the time, you know, they get a small handful of people who actually react to what they have to say. And, and nobody could have taken that away from them. Donald Trump didn't do it. I didn't do it. They did it to themselves. And now, it's all right. It's okay. You may look the other way. And we can try to understand the New York Times effect on man. Thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, don't let the climate change fear-mongering give you a heart attack. That's just fake news. Okay,